Hey, good morning. Good morning. I'm welcoming Amped, Blend, Roan County, Bearden. Good morning to y'all. Hey, um, we've been in the, the book of Mark uh, for a series for, for a bit now, and uh, you can open your Bible to Mark. We're actually going to begin at the very beginning of Mark. But this week, I was, I was listening to a podcast, an old podcast from the Bible Project, as one does. Or, or at least that's what I do. Um, and as I was listening, they asked this question. If you were going to summarize everything that Jesus taught, uh, all of his messages, and you were going to summarize it in one sentence, what would you say? And before you think like I had the answer off the top of my head, I didn't. I, I was like, huh, I haven't thought about that. I, it, it, what was the main message? What was Jesus's main message? And so there's thoughts that come to mind like, hey, maybe it's um, love your neighbor or the gold rule, treat others how you would want to be treated. Or, or maybe it's love your enemies or um, don't worry. How we summarize what Jesus taught, how we would summarize that reveals what we believe. They said that. I was like, that's true. How I would summarize what Jesus taught reveals what it is I believe about him. Now, before you think that this is a, a quiz that you don't know the answer to, I want to assure you, you already know the answer, even though you think you don't. You already know it. There's one message that's, that's central to, to Jesus's message that's, that's taught more than any other message. The first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all begin with Jesus making the same declaration. That's the most important thing is what? The kingdom of God is near. I, I don't use the phrase at hand. I don't like that translation. So I say it this way. It's, it's uh, in my view, a better translation. The kingdom of God is near. It's here. The kingdom of God has come. That reveals all of Jesus's message in a sentence. It's how he summarized it. That the good news is the kingdom of God is here. So we've been talking about this idea of being people who are fluent in good news. And Tim and Dave have talked about being people who are fluent in another language, one that maybe isn't our native language. And it just flows out of us because that's what fluency means. It's something that just flows out of you. And so musicians, if you have to think about it, that, that becomes very difficult. But when you don't have to think about it and it just flows out of you, that's when musicians make music. And the same is true in other areas of our life. If you think about a particular skill that you have that you don't have to think about, you just do it. Those are the things that you're really good at. And when it comes to being a people who are gospel-centered, the, the good news of the kingdom of God is uh, something that should, at least it should, flow right out of us. It's not something that we should think about. It's not something we should have to think about. And so what is it that happens as we learn fluency? We, we have to practice it. We, have to, we, we don't just begin with it being able to flow. We actually have to make the intentional choice to, to learn the vocabulary in order over time that we could change the way we think so that the good news of the kingdom of God could flow right out of us. Often when we summarize, when we summarize the gospel, would you tell somebody the gospel in a sentence is, Jesus is king and he's here. That's how Jesus summarizes the gospel. 
And we're going to talk about that as we go through this week. And so we're going to begin here at the very beginning of Mark's gospel. Now, remember that the gospels are stories, okay? I'm not trying to get in your loop. They're stories. And Mark is a storyteller, and he has a point. If you remember back, those of you who've been around Two Rivers for a while, um, a couple years ago, we did the gospel of John. And there was a point to the gospel of John. If you were here at that time, you'll know that if we are going to summarize John at the end of the gospel, he says, I've written everything that's in this story so that you might have one word. And the word is life. Life. So you should be able to connect. And in the front of your Bible, if you have your big Bible right in the front of it, John, the gospel of John equals life. That is what that gospel is all about. Life in the kingdom of God. Mark does the same thing. At the very outset, he says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. This is how the story goes. And then he goes on to write, as it is written, Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. He actually makes an allusion to three different passages, even though he says, according to Isaiah, he, he quotes Exodus and uh, Malachi, Exodus 23, 20, Malachi 3, 1, Isaiah 40, 13. And from there, he reveals that John the Baptist is Elijah, the, the, the one who was to come and prepare the way for the anointed one of God. That's what that word Christ means. It means the anointed one of God. In the Old Testament, it's it's Messiah. It means the same thing, the anointed one of God. The anointed one of God is here. Now, this isn't a new concept. If you have a Jewish mindset, this isn't a new idea. There's anointed ones all throughout the Old Testament. They were all physical kings that were chosen by God to serve. They were to do what? They were to be the people who served God's purpose in their generation in order that people would encounter God is king. And so here was Jesus's message as we go down to the second part of verse 14 that Jesus came into, and, and that word Galilee, um, the Galilee region. Every time in your Bible that you see Galilee, that's not a city, that's a region in northern Israel. And, and so you can think of it as the Galilee region. Every time you read that, it helps me. Maybe that's not helpful to you. He came into the Galilee region proclaiming the gospel or the good news of God saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news that the kingdom of God is near. And we offer it this way to people. Pray Invite Jesus into your heart so that you can be forgiven of sin and go to heaven when you die. Jesus didn't say it that way. We've reduced it to that. And I'm not saying that that's not an important part, but that's not, that, that isn't it. He says it's to live in the kingdom of God, not someday, but today. The good news is the kingdom of God is here. It has come near. That isn't something that we're just looking forward to at resurrection day someday in the future as we talked about two rivers. That isn't just the hope that we have. It's that we can live as citizens of the kingdom of God now. That's our calling. Does that include um, going to heaven when you die? Yeah, but that's not the point. It's to live in the kingdom of God now. That's Jesus' message. The good news is this. The kingdom of God is near. 
There's an author, uh, N.T. Wright. He wrote a book uh, called Simply Good News, and um, it's kind of mind-bending. And so if you're somebody who wants to challenge the way that you think about the gospel, I'd encourage you to grab a copy. It it will take your your, your thinking and bend it 90 degrees, no doubt about it. And he says this, uh, the good news is that the one true God has now taken charge of the world in and through Jesus and his death and resurrection. God is king. He is in charge through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that that he has now ruling and reigning, not someday, but today. That is true. And we can be part of it as we follow Jesus. And now here's the thing. That, That message motivates us. It does what? It motivates us to live the Jesus way. And what is the Jesus way? To be a servant. The good news motivates us to serve. Now, we're gonna pick back up here in, uh, turn back over to chapter 8, and we're going to pick up where Dave left off last week, beginning in, in verse 31, where, where we saw at the end of last week's message that, that he, was, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter says that you're the anointed one. You're the one. People say all kinds of stuff about you, Jesus, but, but we recognize that you're the one. And then picking up in verse 31, it says, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That word um, Satan, it's adversary. he's, He's saying, hey, get behind me, adversary. Your purpose isn't on the things of God. It's on the things of humanity. You're still living in the kingdom of humanity. You're still living in the kingdoms of this world. And I'm calling you to live under the rule and reign of God. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you highlight or underline, do that. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is the invitation. Notice he doesn't say, if anyone would come after me, let him pray to invite me into his heart. We've made that some mystical thing that we get to invite Jesus into our world when Jesus says it different. If anyone's going to come after me, here's, here's how it works. Deny himself, take up his cross, and we're talking about that, and follow me. For who wet, Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Now this weekend, as we talk about service, Jesus talks about serving and being servants. Now, in a local church, we talk a lot about serving, and we talk about serving inside the church and outside the church. We talk about serving in ministry in some way, shape, or form, Um, and that is not what we're talking about this weekend, 
All right, we're not talking about, hey, when you leave here, go serve in children's ministry, but although when you leave here, you should go serve in children's ministry. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not just saying that. You really should. Because here's the thing. This, this, folks, this is a given. If you're part of a family, you serve. That's a given. We're not talking about that because it's way more than that. We're not talking about that because if we're part of a family, if Two Rivers is your church home, that, that you serve. If you're not serving, it's weird, okay? It's weird that you're not serving in some way, shape, or form, inside or outside the local church. That's weird. Why? Because when you're in a family, you serve. When it's time, okay, when, when dinner's done and it's time for help with the dishes, it's weird if you didn't cook the meal that you wouldn't help clean up. If you cook the meal, you get an out. You've already served. But if you didn't cook the meal, you better be helping at least clean the table. I mean, how hard is it to load the dishwasher? You don't have to go to the bathroom that bad. You don't have to go to the bathroom that bad, right? And so that's weird, and it's just as weird that we wouldn't serve in the local church. So that's not what we're talking about. That's a given. We're talking about the day in, day out serving of the people in your world. We're talking about the service that takes place as you die to yourself in order that the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit can flow through you into the lives of others. That's the kind of service that we're talking about. And that type of service requires death. Requires death. That I would die to me. Now, there's a happy starting point. I know, right? Hey, here's the deal. We're going to talk about dying, but that's what we're going to talk about because, because serving others is more than a nice thing. Serving others is more than a nice thing. It's the thing. This is the kingdom life. Serving others is the thing. It's how the kingdom of God becomes real in the lives of the people that we encounter. As I die to me in order that the spirit could bring to life the good news of the kingdom of God in the world around me. It's the thing. Now, it looks all kinds of different ways. And, and Jesus says, says this. Basically, it's, it's about carrying a cross. Now, when you think about this illustration, sometimes if you've been around church for five minutes, you've heard that probably that it's about um, carrying your cross. And for those of us who've been around church for a long time, uh, our senses get deadened. Like, like we become um, just, the illustration loses its power. Yeah, carry my cross. All right, let, let me go. Yeah, how, how hard is that? You know, carry my cross. And so um, bring it into today. This is, this is an extreme illustra illustration. What is a cross? It's a Roman tool, not only of death, but of torture. It's, it wasn't enough for the Romans to kill a person. They had to suffer in the process. It wasn't enough just that they would put you to death for a crime. They had to put you on display for the public to see, torture you over a long period of time until you finally suffocated on a cross. Oh, wow. That's a powerful, that's a powerful metaphor. In our world, it's um, take up your electric chair, take up your ejection needle, take up the thing, the instrument of death, carry that. Why, why, why that? Because you're going to have to die. You have to die to you in order that what? That the good news of the kingdom of God can flow through you from Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit into the world around you. 
This is called, we are going to call it this weekend to live it out, cross-shaped discipleship. Cross-shaped discipleship is the way of the kingdom of God. And it stands in direct opposition to the way of the world. Throughout this series, we've been talking about that the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom from the kingdom of humanity. It's different. It's, it's the opposite. It works in a different kind of way. The kingdom of the world doesn't say, die to yourself in order that you can be a servant to others. It says, assert your rights and demand that people serve you, especially if they're in the customer service industry. Arrival is that, that you, in our world, arrival is, I've now acquired the means to actually get the good stuff of life. And that is, I now have people do the stuff for me. I now have people serve me. We don't say that. That's the quiet part. We don't say that out loud. But that's what, what uh, Americanism aspires to, that, that we would be in a place of saying, wow, I can do what I want to do as the people around me serve me. That is not the, the way of the kingdom of God. It's opposite of that. Now, in, in Mark's gospel, I, I want to admit, it can seem a little random. Mark can seem like he's just pinging all over the place, but he isn't. And so what he follows is a pattern that's actually an Old Testament pattern where, where we've already talked about how the Exodus story is revealed back in chapter 1, but, but the story reflects the same thing that happened to King David, where King David was anointed as king before he became king. He was anointed as king, and then he went through a time of trial in order to prove his worthiness to be king, and then he was coronated king much later on in his life, and that's the life of Jesus. He, he becomes anointed at his baptism as the Holy Spirit descends upon him. He's anointed to be king at that point, and then he begins over what most people believe is a three-year period. Some people think it's a year, but three years, that, that it's a three-year time period until his crucifixion and resurrection, and during that time, he's proving what? He's proving he's worthy to be king. And his coronation is ushered in as he is killed on a cross and raised to new life. That's the coronation event. As he's raised to new life, it's, it's, he is now ruling and reigning over the world. And in the middle of his gospel, Mark has a summit experience that reflects the Exodus. And if you do the live it out this week, you're going to get to look back. You're going to get to read just a snippet. If you want an A on the test, expand it out and read the whole thing. But just a snippet of, of Moses's encounter with God on Mount Sinai. Now, as, as we're reading the Bible, when we come to a mountain, that this is a consistent image, right, of people meeting with God. It takes us back to Moses's encounter. We're going to see that as we go back into Exodus. We're going to see Moses's encounter with God on the mountain. And that's what's reflected here in chapter nine. And you're going to see some cool little links as you read this. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. When you're reading the Bible, once again, you see high mountain, you're thinking an encounter with God. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, 
Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. He's just filling the dead space. What do I do? Hey, let's make tents. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, who was his first son. The first son was who? The children of Israel in the Exodus were the first son. And now he's connecting. God is connecting. Jesus, hey, this is my beloved son. Do what he says. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. We see that again. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased at as it is written of him. And there he's connecting John the baptizer with the new Elijah. And he's saying that, that he has prepared the way. That has happened. The, the second Elijah has come. And he's making it clear that, that the way of the kingdom of God is different. Repeating this over and over again. So as they come down the mountain, we're going to pick up in verse 30. It says, they went on their way from there and passed through the Galilee region. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. They didn't understand it, and they were just like I was in my college math class. I had no idea what that professor was saying, but I was not going to ask a question. Do you know? I don't know. You ask. You ask. I'm not asking. This is now the second time that he's told them this. That this is going to happen. This is what's going to happen. So what do they do? They go into a debate about who is the greatest. Well, I don't understand what he's talking about that death and resurrection thing, but, but um, let's talk about which one of us is the greatest. And that seems kind of weird to us because declaring I am the greatest is weird. When public figures declare how great they are, that's weird. Whether it's an athlete or a politician, when they tell you they're great, that's weird. That, because people don't do that. We just do it on the inside. And we do it more subtle. The way, how do we declare we're great? Well, can you believe they said that to me? Can you believe they treated me that way? Don't you know who I am? I'm the customer. Don't you realize I have rights? It's far more subtle. And it's running through our thought pattern all the time. Our world conditions us to think that we are great. We are the most important people in the world. And so this debate that they're having, I, I, as I imagine this in my mind, it's not like they're literally saying, hey, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. And they're like, okay, well, which one of us loves Jesus more? Well, you know, I did this and this and this for him. I did all these things. I think I... 
I've, I've, been, I've been proving my worth. And that goes on, and we're going to see that James and John continue the conversation. They begin to talk about, hey, what, what seat am I going to get at the table? But Jesus says it different. He says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. He's like, I know what you guys are talking about, and you got it backwards. If you want to be first in the kingdom of God, and I want to assure you, I I do not believe that it is wrong for us to aspire to be first in the kingdom of God. Why? Because Jesus seems to encourage it that we would want to be great in the kingdom of God. And how do we become great in the kingdom of God? We die to self in order that Christ might live through the power of the Spirit through us, ushering the kingdom of God into the world around us. How? We serve people. We serve people. So then he goes on to say this. And they were on the road, on the way, going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him. And spit on him. And flog him. And kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Here we see that Jesus demonstrates service in God's kingdom. Jesus demonstrates service in God's kingdom. It has a name. It's called a cross. Service in God's kingdom looks like a cross. He's already made that clear. So James and John hear this. Again, he's just told them, you got to be a servant. Stop talking about who's the greatest. And so they come at it from another angle. Hey, which one of us is going to get the best seat in the room? We definitely want to be in the room where it happens, and I want a good seat. We've been with you for a long time. We're part of your program. Do we get to participate, and do we get the best seat in the room? Jesus' response, see, Jesus called to him and he said to him, you know, that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, I love the the phrase, those who are considered rulers. There's the, the, the storytellers don't make a mistake in how they word things. The world would call them rulers. And in Jesus's worldview, they're just considered rulers. We all know that I'm the king. That they only get to do what they get to do because God allows it. They're only the ones who get to be in the position that they're in because God has allowed it. They're, they're considered rulers. We all know they're not really rulers. But the ones who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they do what? They lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many jesus is clear right that 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 this is the opposite of how the world defines greatness that jesus defines greatness as service die to self in order that what that, that Christ might live through me, through the power of the Holy Spirit flowing the good news of the kingdom of God through serving the world around me. Man, that's a takeaway, guys. That's it. And, and, and the good news is you can't do this. You can't do this. That's a good news. It does require that we would develop such 
a relationship with God, such a relationship in knowing that, that what is me and me and what's the Holy Spirit in me and where is God is leading me and, and intimacy with, with Jesus through the power of the Spirit in us, that, that it would just flow out of this. If we have to think about it, it gets hard. But when it's like, of course I serve, why? Because that's what the Holy Spirit is doing through me as I'm ushering in the good news of the kingdom of God to the people around me. That's the Christian life. The good news flows into everyday life through service. There's a book called um, Echoes of Exodus, Tracing a Biblical Motif by Brian Estelle. And if you really want to geek out on Exodus and the pattern that shows up throughout a scripture, grab a copy of that one. Um, but in that book, he talks about that, that Mark has structured his gospel in such a way that it reinforces this, that he says, Mark's structure reinforces his teaching. Entrance into the kingdom of God entails a life similar to the Messiah's, that is, one of suffering along the way to our final destination. That's the life. That we would be a people that, that join in that story. This week, I was reminded, like, like Two Rivers Church, we, we, there's something, this was cool. Okay, I wasn't going to tell a story. I going to tell a story. We, I was out in Rome County, and um, there was this guy, and he was fairly new, and, and he's been around church for a long time, and he said, hey, one of the things that I appreciate about Two Rivers Church is I know that I'm never going to show up, and I'm going to find out um, four steps to be a better um, spouse or, you know, how do you be a better, here's three steps on how to be a better parent. Hey, here's, you know, here's the six primary things on how to be a better leader in your workplace. You're never going to hear that. Why are you never going to hear that? Jesus never taught that. He's like, but you're always going to point me to what it looks like to live a spirit-empowered life and follow Jesus. I'm like, well, because that's what Jesus taught. And so if you want to be a better husband or wife, mom or dad, employer, employee, teacher, student, whatever sphere of life you're in, if you want to be better at that, there's not five steps, four steps, three steps, one step. There's one step. There's one step. Die to you in order that you could serve the people around you. You do that and you are going to be better at every phase of life. You will be the best boss anybody has ever had. You will be the best employee in your business. You, you will be the best mom that you can be. You will be the best dad that you can be. You'll be the best kid that you can be. You'll be the best student you can be. You'll be the best teacher you can be. If what? If I die to me in order that the good news of the kingdom of God flows through me into the world around me. And it requires that I develop Good news fluency. That I would so know, Jesus, that the good news of the kingdom of God flows out of my life into the lives of others. The good news motivates us to serve. As we look at next steps, the first next step, this, this is not possible if at first we're not part of the kingdom of God. This isn't about being a better person. Okay, this isn't about a how do you just be a better person, a, a morally good person. This is how do you be a transformed person. And the only way to be a transformed person is to enter into the kingdom of God by becoming a follower of Christ. 
And some of you, you've been around church for a while, but you've never actually said, I declare that I will follow Jesus and receive the new life that only he can give, becoming indwelt by the Spirit of God in order that you could actually follow Jesus in your real life. Some of you have never taken that step. And so that's where we are today. Jesus is inviting you. He says, follow me. Then it's going to require what? That you're going to trade your life, that you are going to crucify the old you in order that a new you can live. It's the good news. You can be part of God's rule and reign in the world today. And so if that's you, on, on the front of your, of your bulletin, there's a connection card. If you open up your bulletin on the inside, there's actually, at the bottom, it says, I've, I have decided to follow Jesus today. Would, would you, if, if that's where you are, and you're like, you know what, I'm ready. In a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to pray with me that I'm ready to follow Jesus. You'd put your name and, and a way to contact you, either your phone number or email, and, and you would turn it over and you would check that box. In all of our venues, there's a, a place in the back of the room. There's an offering box in the back of the room where you can drop that, or you could give it to one of the, uh, anybody who's, who's around your campus there serving in some way, shape, or form. They would love to encourage you along the way. You could take it to one of our prayer team members and give it to them. They would love to encourage you along the way. This is the, this is the starting point. And so if you're, if you're not part of God's kingdom and you're like, you know what, today's the day. I'm ready. There's no reason to wait. This is, this is no reason to, to, to go, well, you know what, I, I, I'll just wait and kind of see how this goes. It, there's only life in the kingdom and life out of, outside the kingdom. There's only two options, right? And, and there's only eternal life, that's life in the kingdom, and there's only uh, a life that leads to eternal death, that's life outside the kingdom. And so if you find yourself in a place saying, I'm ready to take that step, I invite everybody on all of our venues to, to bow your head and close your eyes and it doesn't have to be anything other than, than you praying inside of you that, that Jesus, I, I recognize my need for a savior. And today, I choose to follow you, to put me to death in order that I might follow you being in, dwelt by your spirit and coming to a new life and becoming part of your kingdom. So again, if, if you prayed that, I want to encourage you to, to make it real and tangible by, by telling someone Something significant happens when we tell someone of, a, of an internal decision like that, where, where all of a sudden it becomes tangible in our lives. For the rest of us, those of us who have, if you don't have new life in Christ, this next question is pointless. But if you have new life in Christ, this is where we're going to land. That we're going to ask Jesus a question and then we're going to reflect on it because we believe that Jesus is going to speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit and so I'm going to ask the question, and then you're going to ask Jesus the question in your mind in order that he might communicate what it is. And this isn't a once, uh, hey, we did that on Sunday, I'm good. This is everyday question. This is a rest of your life question. Probably, you know, lots of times during the day. Before you um, go to work in the morning, before you go to lunch with a lunch appointment, before you walk into that meeting, before you, uh, you go back home and you walk back into your house, this is the question. Where do I need to die so that I can serve? And so what we're going to do is we're going to, together, we're going to ask him that question. We're going to pray that as a question and ask that he would respond. So ask Jesus this question. Where do I need to die so that I can serve?